You know what? I really love going to the movies. You know who really loves going to the movies? Will. They're just so fun. Will likes the weirdest movies. It's kind of embarrassing. John thinks he's so cool when it comes to his movie takes, but I know the truth. Honestly, here's the truth about Will's taste in movies. He's, he's almost, almost always, always wrong. wrong. <laughs> Hello, s'mores. Hello, pain. Oh, Will, you're not going to believe it. Oh, this ought to be good. We just got a call from Super Podcast Corporation. The most mainstream provider of the most mainstream podcast in all of human history slash the last 10 years. No, the one with the human backyard. Yeah, of course, them. Whoa. Is this about what I think it's about? You and me. And me and you. We're, We're going to have, have our, our own, own podcast. podcast. Wait, slow down, John. When are we supposed to start? Uh, yeah, well, we were supposed to be at the studio about an hour ago. Wait, what? When did you find out about this? Well, I was going to tell you this morning after I left band practice, but then on the way home, I ran into Melissa. Well... So you forgot to tell me about the biggest opportunity of our lives because you were busy hanging out with some girl? Well, not just any girl, it was Melissa. I'm too mad to chuckle you right now. Uh, let's just get to the studio. Okay, right behind you. Right after I have some of these s'mores. Okay, boys, I'm the big shot producer helping you run your little show here. Now, I need you to keep this podcast of yours under an hour, okay? Folks tune out when they see long run times with sketches and bits that have nothing whatsoever to do with the subject matter they are engaging with in said program. No problem, Big Shot Producer. We're just really excited for this chance to do our own show. Yeah, yeah, whatever you say. Well, come on, let's get this thing started so I ain't late for my date. <laughs> Oh, sorry. I forgot the most important opportunity of our lives revolves around your dating life. Well, apology accepted. <laughs> All right, boys, the show starts in three, two, one. Well, I never thought that'd be so simple, but I, I found, found a way. way. I, I found, found a way. way. If you open up your mind. See what's in gonna take some time to realize but if you look inside I'm sure you'll find over your shoulders you know that I told you I'll always be picking you up when you down so just turn around Ooh, uh, uh, uh. Simaholics was filmed in front of a live studio audience. Not really. Okay, welcome once again to Cinemaholics. I'm John Negroni. I'm the box office columnist for Adam Tickets. 
head writer of Cinemaholics.com. And, you know, they say I'm a bit of a ladies' man with his own band. He's a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend. He also reviews films for Cinemaholics.com. And, you know, he's probably won every science fair he's ever participated in. It's Will Ashton. I don't know if you should be spreading such information, but uh, <laughs> hi, John. You know, a lot of people ask us, hey, so you guys are stepbrothers, right? And anyway, yep, that's what we always are asked. <laughs> you can find more episodes of Cinemaholics, including our full archive on Cinemaholics.com, assuming our younger sister, Sam, doesn't try to hack it again. You can write into the show anytime by emailing us, cinemaholicspodcasts at gmail.com. Oh, man, we just got an email. We've been hacked again. Sam. And you can support us directly by becoming one of our monthly patrons on patreon.com slash cinemaholics. And if you'd like to support our podcast in a non-financial way, go to ratethispodcast.com slash cinemaholics and find out how you can review and rate us and help get our show out there for even more listeners. Well, you know, I guess people can kind of tell at this point that this isn't your typical episode of Cinemaholics. It's a little different. Oh, it's not our typical episode? Right, yeah, because it's the first episode we're doing with <laughs> Super Podcast Corporation. And uh, sure. that, that's really exciting for us. Now, yeah, yeah. a few off topics. Our extra milestone for Pinocchio was supposed to be out this week. However, we had to delay our recording with Sam Nolan. We're so sorry. Uh, we had a uh, Wi-Fi snafu, so we weren't able to record on time. Um, but that is coming, so we apologize that uh, we're behind. But hey, it's extra milestone. Like we said last week, what else is new? But uh, in terms of things that are, I guess, sort of on time. Is this on time? South by Southwest is going to be doing sure. sort of a film festival light version where they're going to be putting a lot of films on Amazon Prime Video starting April 27th. Well, what well, do we know about this? Well, I mean, when by a lot, do you mean like I think four narrative films? Is it only four? Uh, a few documentaries. Oh, okay, I I'm thought it was a little sure bit more than four. that. I mean, I, I mean, well, I know when they announced this, I think Amazon was really confident that a lot of indie films and indie producers would be adamant to show their movie no matter what, and I think a lot of them surprised them by saying, "No, we we don't want to put our movie out that early. Like, we want to build some, uh, you know, interest and." Uh, word of mouth through other film studios. And then I guess a few of them wanted to seize this opportunity knowing that, you know, for about a week or so they'd have a spotlight on their film, you know, that they may not have otherwise gotten. So it seemed like kind of a push and pull. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, I thought there'd be more than four. Yeah. Same here. Well, I thought they were holding back on announcing some of the releases. So I was like, Oh, these are just some of them they're saying now, but man, is that really all they're putting out? Oh, uh, it's possible. That's what I thought. I mean, I'm just going, I mean, I'm just I think we're both going off the same deadline article, which I, I'm looking at now uh, and I'll double check to make sure it's it's just four narrative films. But that's what I heard. So, yeah, yeah. one, two, three. Yeah. Four narrative films. One, two, three, three documentary films. And then one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, it looks like there's a few more shorts, at least hmm. than narratives but uh yeah i mean you know it's a good amount of content either way but i mean not as not as many as you would have gotten at south by southwest traditionally but right well we're gonna 
we're going to do our best to figure out which of these films, if any of them, we're going to be covering on the show. Uh, we'll talk about this toward the end of this episode, but there are a few other things that we're actually planning to check out for next week. And I'm not sure if any of these are going to make the cut, hopefully. I'd say that kind of the theme of this episode is here are all of the films that are kind of indie. They came out at some festivals and they're just sort of being unceremoniously dropped in the middle of a pandemic when we're all forced to be at home. And I, I'm just going to say this at mm -hmm. the outset. I know this is probably going to get some people to maybe click away and be like, well, maybe I don't need to listen to this episode of Cinemaholics. You do. It's important. You're going to learn so much. I'm saying that sarcastically. No, we're going to have some really good discussion about a few uh, very interesting films here, but a lot of them aren't very good. Like these are really mediocre indie movies that they feel like, and I hate to say this disparagingly against a few movies that I'm sure a lot of effort got put into them and they're not all bad or anything like that, but they do have this running theme of, these these aren't like the top tier festival movies. These are the ones I feel like they're using to sort of pad out a release schedule in the absence of a bunch of films that were supposed to be coming out around this time, like Mulan and No Time to Die and so on. So yep. that's how I feel at the moment. Um, again, we're going to have a good conversation about these films. And there there are one or two of these. There are actually two of these films that I'm a fan of that I think are worth checking out um, if you really are hungry for some new content. But at the moment... I have to tell you, Will, I'm definitely getting a lot more out of TV series than I am movies mm -hmm. at, at the moment. And that's new movies, I should say. Uh, one of them is Plot Against America. Yeah. We're going to be doing a bonus episode of Cinemaholics, hopefully later this week, because this is a new miniseries that just finished this past Sunday, and it finished its run on HBO. You can check out all six episodes. It's based on the novel by Philip Roth, and it stars the wonderful Zoe Kazan. Oh, okay. It is uh, an incredible show, just absolutely incredible, completely nailed the landing. I'm going to be talking about it with Emily Kubenknek later this week. Uh, we're so excited to talk about this show because <clears throat> it is easily one of the best things I've seen all year. So I'm very excited to talk about it in depth with her, and hopefully some of you will be able to catch up. We'll, of course, do like a spoiler-free thing about Plot Against America, and then maybe get into some nitty-gritty. We haven't totally planned out what the uh, this bonus episode will entail in total but yeah will if you get a chance this this one's right up your alley i think that you should seek it out uh, as soon as you get a chance yeah yeah her it's good and um yeah i'll have to look to see if i got some screener links for that because uh yeah it sounds good i saw a couple of previews for it um while i was binging through some of their free hbo things so yeah it looks intriguing yeah it's definitely worth it i'd say that uh zoe kazan uh, especially that last episode if she doesn't get nominated for an Emmy, I hope it's because somehow all the other TV offerings in 2020 have been that good, which uh, I don't suspect will be the case, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, I guess the more negative would be that they don't have an Emmys at this point. But yeah, I mean, I'm hoping for the best for her. <laughs> well, I feel like the Emmys are something that probably will still happen because there's still TV coming out there, right? Like people are still watching TV. Sure. There's some things that are going to be delayed in production like in the fall, but there are things that are already done that'll, you yeah. know, we still had an Emmys when there was yeah. a writer's strike. So mm -hmm. I, I'm more worried about the Oscars, truth be told. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't have answers for either. Oh, well, we'll in see. that case, that's what I. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> well, let's talk about our first film then. Now that we've gotten all that out of the way. And uh, we, we sure. I wasn't sure, honestly, what the first film we should talk about should be. And I'm kind of wondering if we made the wrong yeah. choice in terms of like, I don't think any of these releases we're talking about are necessarily on a ton of radars at the moment. Uh, 
not even with well, like, yeah, cinephiles, really. I mean, well, yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, well, looking at the week when we were trying to figure out what to talk about, my instinct was the film we're going to be talking about. I don't know if can I say what it is now, or do you want me to wait? Until yeah, yeah, we're we talking. Yeah, we're talking about Sergio, which uh, came out on Netflix. Yeah. People saw the the headline for this; they know we're talking about Sergio. Okay, cool. Um, I didn't want to steal your your thunder, John. You're the lightning to my thunder, Willashen. Sure. Um, but what I was looking at, like, you know, from on the pa- on paper, I was looking at these. I was like, well, Sergio is probably the biggest one because it's like a Netflix release, you know, biopic. Uh, it has two big names in that, like Anna Darmos and then the Narcos guy. Um, I was like, well, surely this one will get some attention. And I don't even think it ever cracked the top 10 on Netflix thing. Yeah, it's it's Wagner Mora, by the way. Yeah, OK. Saying. But yeah, I mean, like, I thought it would at least get like some traction or like some notice. But uh, outside of you, I don't think I've heard anybody talk about this movie. Oh, no, I don't know a soul who's seen it. I feel like we, we sort of missed it, right? Because like people are talking about as in terms of Netflix releases, Black AF and Too Hot to Handle mm-hmm. are like the big things this week. But yeah, other yeah. than that, <laughs> I don't think I don't think Sergio right. cracked the top 10. You're right. Well, yeah, because like everything that seemed interesting was like stuff that had to wait for next week. Like I think. People are going to see the Willoughby's, which I believe comes out, will be out by the time this episode comes out. Uh, and then, like, I think later on, we have a couple films we'll talk about that seem really interesting, but they're all going to be coming out like this weekend. So it seems like all the interesting stuff's coming out late April and maybe hopefully in March, but or sorry, May. Um, but yeah, this this is one of those weeks where it's just like, given everything that's going on and how few selections we had, we really just had to pick what we could <laughs> from the scraps. Yeah. And so this is what we got. And uh, I think we're still going to have some informative discussion here. Even if you haven't seen Sergio, I think we're going to definitely wrap this discussion up in some probably bigger takeaways about Netflix movies in general. Um, But yeah, let's talk about it. So Sergio is a biopic about a United Nations diplomat named Sergio Vieira de Mello. And this actually was a documentary in 2009 directed by Greg Barker. He actually has now made a narrative film. Nothing unusual about that, about a documentary filmmaker going on doing a narrative and i think his most well-known film is the one he made prior to this which is the final year which was the documentary about like the last year barack obama Obama yeah it came out in uh, 2017 or something like that yeah yeah this is actually the first narrative feature film from greg barker um this was this comes through a screenplay comes from a screenplay written by craig borton um are you familiar with craig borton's work as much i think probably dallas buyers club is probably his biggest thing yeah, you have to read off his resume. I don't recognize the name, but I probably recognize some of the films. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah probably. I think uh, I don't actually know what he's done since Dallas uh, Dallas Buyers Club, but I do know that okay. he is going to be doing a John D. Rockefeller biopic, actually, uh, now that I think about it. So okay. uh, after seeing this, I'm uh, <laughs> I'm hoping that maybe the misfire with this movie has more to do with the direction than the screenplay. But honestly... My Maybe. first criticism before we even talked about the movie is the screenplay. So unfortunately that is the case. Uh, but yeah, so this movie stars, like you said, Wagner Moron, best known probably for his role in Narcos. Uh, in fact, I, I can't actually off the top of my head think of anything else I've seen him in except for maybe Elysium. Because I remember he had like a role in that. But yeah, so. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised he hasn't done more since Narcos, yeah. given how big that show was. Right. We've seen Peter Pascal continue to his momentum right. since his Game of Thrones appearance. And then Narcos, yeah, yeah. obviously, was such a big role for him. Right. Yeah, you're right. I I can't remember the last thing, I, like, new thing I saw 
this actor in. And he's actually, he's really great. I think that his role in Narcos is fantastic. Uh, he really does Pablo Escobar. Sure, he doesn't yeah. mean Pablo Escobar. But yes, mm-hmm. also Ana de Armas is in this uh, film, which I think is a big reason why you, I think you and I agree. It's like, oh yeah, this will be the big Netflix movie, Ana de Armas. She's like legitimately yeah, yeah. one of She's the most talked right about actresses at the moment. Yeah. Um, and also Bradley Whitford is in this, um, which I got to say, I yeah. I almost didn't recognize him uh, if it wasn't maybe because I haven't seen the West Wing. And I think that's probably what would tip some people off. But he plays real life uh, Paul Bremer. Um but yeah, so this movie is about a lot of real life events involving a tragic bombing that happened in, uh, I think it was Baghdad. And this was during the war in Iraq back in 2003. And we kind of start the movie off with Sergio, who is this kind of aging diplomat, right? Like he's got gray hair. He's been doing this for a long time. You can tell he's a bit of a veteran, but we open salt with pepper, him. John. Yeah, salt and pepper, salt and pepper top. Uh, but yeah, he's actually trapped in the basement of a hotel that has just been bombed by, uh, Al Qaeda, I believe at the time as they were known. And as we sort of wonder like what his ultimate fate is going to be, we go to a lot of different like patchwork mosaic flashbacks that take us throughout his life. Um, eventually he, we learn how he goes on to meet his uh, longtime girlfriend, Carolina played by Onid Armas. And how their relationship came about, a lot of the things that he's been fighting for along the way, uh, his his uh, deep friendship with a man named Gil, who is played here by Brian F. O'Byrne. So the movie kind of takes us through his life in a very, chrono- not a chronological way, a non-linear way. You kind of go all over the place here. Um, a lot of different locations. I thought this movie looked like it really had a budget because there's a lot of places we go to, but at the same time, I mean, I wouldn't say it's a flashy movie by any means. Uh, this premiered at the Sundance Film Festival uh, just this past January. And I got to say, I, I don't remember even there anybody seeing this or talking about it. So, man, even under the radar at that point. So this is finally available by Netflix and you can check it out right now. I was going to say, did Netflix acquire or did they produce it as well? Um, I believe it was produced by Black Rabbit. Okay. And okay. Um, yeah, and they acquired it. I, I don't know if they acquired it or if they like had it before okay. um, it even okay. premiered, to be totally yeah. honest with you. Okay. I, I only ask because it'll lead to a later point I have, but keep going. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, let's get into it then. Yeah. Well, Ashton, what do you think of Sergio? Did you uh, did you find this this uh, to be a war on your mind? Um, no. Uh, yeah, so... I think I've talked about this before. When I watch movies, uh, I tend to prefer like, you know, either movies that are tremendous or really good, great, even good films, or I enjoy film watching films that are, you know, just the pits, like terrible, uh, just, you know, like the worst, the worst, just because I feel like those extremes are the most rewarding in some way or another. My least favorite type of film to watch are the ones that are just entirely mediocre in pretty much every aspect. Uh, because I find that for the most part, they end up being fairly boring and, you know, they, they're not really good enough to praise, but they're not bad enough to fully criticize. And Sergio, I think is a pretty classic example of just a almost entirely mediocre biopic. And that like, I think the story, obviously, I think the the character is one worth exploring. And I think the story could be done in a really interesting and investing way, but uh, the reason I was trying to figure out if it was a Netflix original or if it was acquired because it feels very much like what an old-fashioned TV movie would be like. 
with the exception of like some R-rated material. Like I don't like to me, it actually looked kind of cheap, like the way that shot and lit just looked very TV movie like it didn't really look cinematic to me. That's what I meant by uh, it's not like very really, flashy. Right. But it just didn't like I with the exception of locations and the stars, it doesn't really seem like one like it seems cheaper than your traditional Netflix film. So that's why I, was, I wasn't sure if it was one they acquired or if it was just one they uh, bought because of the stars involved. So what I mean then is that it's like it's a lot of production design, but it's not quality like high quality production. Yeah. Design. Like there's a lot of it. Right. And like, like in a scene, you have a few scenes where they're in Cambodia and you can tell they're like throwing money at certain things to have it. But yeah, at no True. point do you feel like this movie has a lot of flair necessarily. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I don't like you said, like the script here, um, I looked up the screenwriters uh, filmography and it looked like the other film I had seen, which was the 33. And that was another film that was like, you know, a compelling story, but told in a fairly banal, mediocre way. So maybe just Dallas Buyers Club was really benefited by having uh, a good director involved with it. Um, I forget the guy's name, but the guy did Wild and Big Little Lies. Um, yeah, because everything about the execution of this is uh, just basically fine at best. I feel like I, I don't like the performances are fine, like are better than fine. I mean, but um, I don't know. I just I found the story to be entirely conventional, even the stuff that was trying to be unconventional. Um, I feel like we only get enough of uh what we should know about this guy like i don't feel like we really have a enough time to know him as a person just enough to know him as a subject um and i i found that you could tell it was made by a documentary filmmaker because it seemed like the type of film where the filmmaker is kind of in awe of the subject and really just more interested in presenting the story as opposed to making it really investing or entertaining as a presentation so it's one of those films that for me, it was just kind of a slog to get through because it felt like a lot of missed opportunities and underwhelming production values. And, you know, I, I wish I had something more fun or exciting to say about it. But the result was a film that mostly just left me with a shrug. Yeah. One thing, one of the ways I thought about maybe opening this week's episode and uh, ultimately I decided against it, but I'll share it now. I was going to say, all right, let's talk oh, about the all of the films that Will Ashton saw in one sitting. All right, that'll do it for this week's episode of Cinemaholics. Yeah. <laughs> we got to go from there. Yeah, I, this this movie was a bit of a slog. I couldn't watch it in one sitting. It was, it was really tough. And uh, also yeah. the director you're referring to, yeah, John Mark Vallee, who, yeah, is just a fantastic director. Um, I know you mentioned yeah. Big Little Lies. I don't know if you mentioned Sharp Objects as well. Very good. So. Oh, yeah, I still need to watch that. Yeah, it's, it's uh, very much worth your time. Another HBO show that yeah. I think you should check out. HBO you should show. Check out. Yeah, we didn't even talk about HBO Max. It just premiered its uh, list of uh, available yeah. content for 15 bucks a month. Just <laughs> 15? Basically an ad for HBO at this. Yeah. We're basically well, I mean, an ad I already paid for HBO, for HBO now, so might as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the difference is, but... I, well, I think that's yeah. the thing is I think I'm going to get rid of HBO now and have HBO Max, which is like the same thing. Yeah. Or like it's a bigger yeah. umbrella. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But, basically, uh, you, get more, you get everything you'd get from HBO now or HBO Go, and then you just get the extra stuff they made for HBO max. And I think you also get some like Warner brothers movies and some other things. So it doesn't seem like a bad deal. It just 15 bucks is a bit much. Right. And whereas like with Peacock, the only thing I've heard with that was that new saved by the bell reboot, which uh, I remember I, I we were talking about Peacock. it. It's like somehow, somehow a trailer came out for a stayed by the bell reboot where Mario Lopez yeah. is like the main character and nobody cared. Like <laughs> <laughs> I saw yeah. nobody I mean, talking about it. I mean, I saw some people talking about, it, but their response was just like, Oh, Okay. Just like, okay, that's a thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like I, I saw more people invest in that Valley Girl remake 
which is like another 80s property that people were like, oh, that's back. <laughs> right. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Wait, well, Saved by the Bay, Saved by the Bell is the 90s or is that the 80s? It's 90s. Yeah. It's like completely okay. 90s because I think like the, sure. it started in the late 80s with like the Good Morning Miss Bliss. But then by 1990, mm-hmm. it was like full on the Saved by the Bell we know today mm-hmm. where they had like the whole cast sort of came together yep. for the first time. Because I think uh, right. like we didn't, I think about half of the main characters weren't in it yet, like Kelly and Slater and Jesse. Mm-hmm. So that those are all the Saved by the Bell okay. facts I have for you now. Sure. Uh, but what were you saying about Sergio? <laughs> Sergio. Yeah. So I was going to talk about this. Yeah. I, I think the main, my main thing with this movie is, uh, yeah, it's very much like a dad TV movie, that kind of thing where it's, mm-hmm. it, it, it's not really saying much. It's just sort of giving you the cliff notes of a person's life yeah. and it's not really teaching you page. anything you couldn't have learned about this guy from a Wikipedia entry. You know, like I think a lot mm-hmm. of the characterization we see with him is just really one note. I I just didn't find it very deep and compelling, and I I found myself very confused because like, man, this guy this guy seems so fascinating. So why is he written to be so dull? And a lot of this movie is just plain dull. Like the execution is yeah. just it it's so dreary. And it, when I mentioned my criticism with the screenplay, it really is just because the structure of the film has no energy to it. Like you really don't move yeah. along this guy's life. Like I, I look back at like a movie, a recent movie, like the two popes, which I thought that compared mm-hmm. to this, that movie was so much better Not at Netflix taking you film. through his yeah. backstory. No Netflix film where mm-hmm. you felt like you were mm-hmm. understanding Pope Francis and like his flashbacks serve to teach you about this person in his old age. And Honestly, like if I had just been watching this movie, I would not. There were times when if you don't tell me what year it is, I don't know like where this guy is, what he's doing, yeah. why he's here. What, what is the state of his relationship with Carolina? Like, I feel like it changes all the time. And poor Ana de Armas here, who I mean, she's yeah. just sort of written to be a one dimensional supportive girlfriend where we know she can be so much better. <laughs> and like, it's yeah. not her fault at all. Like, I don't think it's anybody's fault sure. here. I think even Garrett Dillahunt, who plays like a, a sergeant at one point, trying to help everyone out of the building, uh, even he is yeah. kind of like just given these really boring lines and you can tell he's trying to put yeah. some life into it and like it doesn't quite yeah. work. So yeah, this, this movie is just a bit of a dud and uh, sadly yeah. it is. So yeah, I'm a I'm just a C on it. Like I don't hate it. I don't think it's the worst movie of 2020 by any means, but yeah, you're it's about as aggressively average as you can get with a uh, a movie of this uh, presentation, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those films, like I said, it's just like entirely mediocre to the point where I'm probably going to forget about it in a week or two. And it's not like anyone's really doing a like it's terms of the acting. Like I don't think anyone's giving a bad performance, but no one really stands out. And like you said, I think the presentation is fairly flat because it's one of those films where it's just like. His only flaw, he loves his job too much. Ah, <laughs> to that's the point it. where he, yeah, <laughs> and it's just like it's just like such of like the most banal. I mean, obviously there's whole stuff with his family, but it's like just yeah, yeah. Like well, it, it'll in cut there. it and be like, also, was he a yeah. bad father? And then it just transitions. But to he's not totally even different. But it's not even like they make him that bad of a father. Like he's obviously supposed to be bad, but just like. But like every time, every time they show him with his kids, like he's trying to make an effort. It's just like it's just because he wasn't there because he loves his job and his country too much. Yeah, <laughs> it's so overtly sympathetic to a weird trope that they. I feel like they're foisting upon this real person. And 
instead of right. like making it more morally gray, this movie's so black and white about his life. It's martyrizing him, basically, which Absolutely. I mean, you know, I mean, obviously the filmmaker, you know, obviously he made a documentary about this and then film. So he has a lot of admiration and respect for him. And, you know, I mean, it's not an unflattering portrait, but it just it feels fairly dishonest just because the whole thing feels kind of phony. Uh, exactly. In that TV movie sort of way. Right. It makes me more suspicious of this guy in real life than I would otherwise. Right. But yeah, I mean, I guess I'd be more willing to forgive it if, if, if it was even like entertaining or interesting throughout. But it's just so dull. It's flat. So it's just like these stuff. This stuff stands out more and how like in in accurate or inauthentic, I guess it would seem because it just feels so much like a movie. So uh, it's kind of hard to escape that. But yeah, I guess for me, I guess quality wise, it's closer to like a C plus. But in terms of how I felt like afterwards, I guess I'd be like somewhere between like a C minus or a C. So I'll, I'll go with the C. Like, it's just whatever. I'll forget about it. I'm not mad yeah. I saw it, but a lot better ways you can spend your time, especially on Netflix right now. So I'd skip you, it. You don't have strong feelings about it one way or the other. Yep, my catchphrase, put it on the t-shirts, on the mugs. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's Sergio. Uh, quick question for you, Will. I don't know if you can yeah. answer it. What's your favorite movie of 2020 so far? 2020? Yeah. Um, do, you have, do you know how many films you've seen this year? Not off the top of my head. I look what I've seen, though, if, if you want to well, allow me to I wait bring it up reminisce. because I just, this is a little, little bit of a plug. If you go to cinemaholics.com right now, you okay. can find my yearly movie rankings for 2020. And okay. I've officially laid out uh, my ranking for every movie I've seen so far in 2020. There are 49 films on here. I excluded uh, documentary series and things like that. And so otherwise it would no be much team. longer. Um, there's 49 films on there right now, but there's like five or six more I need to add. So it's, it's getting closer to 60 than it is 50. But yeah, my favorite film of the year so far, at least at this moment, good change, is Minari, which I saw in January. Okay. Uh, my second favorite yeah. is Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. And yeah, of the films that I'm in my top 10, the only ones I know that you've seen are Onward, which is my number three, Emma, which is my number five, and Crip Camp, which is my number 10. Although, wait, you saw Crip Camp, right? No, I haven't seen it. Oh, no, you didn't. Okay. I talked about it a few weeks ago, but yeah, so that's, that's on my top 10. Um, the assistant I know you saw is a little bit further down to number 12. So, and, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, looking at what I've seen this year, probably my favorite by default is Timmy failure just cause how much I like that wow. film. But I mean, and I think in a regular year that I don't know if I'd even be <laughs> in my top 10, but this year it's looking more and more likely that that might be 2020 so, has not been uh, good to you. Will. I mean, like I said, I liked, I liked Timmy failure. I liked Emma. Um, there are a few others. Invisible Man, I enjoyed. I need to put Timmy Failure on here. I still haven't finished it. I have like yeah, thirty minutes left. I I keep forgetting it's on my Disney Plus, and I I was digging it, so I'm sure uh, it'll yeah. find its way highish on my list as well. And Baccarat, the one we talked about a few weeks ago, I'm sure I think yeah. that counts as 2020. So that'd be in my top five probably for now. Yeah, it's my number thirteen. So I I enjoyed that mm -hmm. one quite a bit as well. Mo most of my top ten are like Sundance things because that's like the only like yeah. really good films I've had a chance to yeah. see. Like Boy States, Palm Springs, Kajillionaire, Herself, really good stuff. Yeah, I was also gonna say Color Out of Space is probably in my top five right now as well. I that's right, and I still haven't seen Color Out of Space. I definitely need to see that as soon as possible. So that's that's a quick twenty twenty yeah. catch up for you all. Uh, if you yeah. want to see my list, uh, you can go to cinemahawks.com. You can find 
the yearly movie rankings for 2020 under the articles tab. You'll see yearly rankings and you can go year by year. And then will anybody can go to your Letterboxd account and they can go to mine too. Yeah. And just do it that way. Yeah. Do what you love. Yeah, for sure. All right. Let's talk about our next film, Mm -hmm. Sea Fever. Now, of all the films we're talking about this week, Sea Fever is probably the only one that I legitimately recommend as in like i think more people should see it and i think specifically will Ash, and i wish you you had already had a chance to see it the problem is that it's not nearly the most accessible film uh the only way you can see it right now is mm-hmm. video on demand which means you do have to uh pay a little bit of money to rent or buy it uh so what is this movie sea fever is an internationally co-produced science fiction thriller slash horror it's directed by nisa hardeman uh are you familiar with uh nisa hardeman well um maybe that sounds kind of familiar i you might have seen some of the shows she's worked on this is her first film she's an irish director and her probably the biggest thing she's worked on was the marvel superhero series inhumans which came out a few years ago was not a big success unfortunately not a hit um not not (laughs) a hit but a lot of the other things she's worked on have been z the beginning of everything happy valley scott and bailey tracy beaker returns these are mainly mainly like British TV shows that are very, very popular overseas or have been. And so that's why I wasn't sure if you might be aware. I think the only thing you might have seen from her is Inhumans. Is that the case? Um, No, I haven't even seen Inhumans. So I don't think I've seen anything from her. Oh, weird. For some reason, I thought you saw it like the first episode. I never saw Inhumans either, to be fair. Yeah, I never got around to that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is, again, Nisa Hardeman's, this is her first film, and it stars Hermione Corfield, who, the uh, last thing I think I've seen her in was probably Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Um, she was also in the latest Triple uh, X movie, the Xander Cage one from 2017. She was oh, yeah, in Pride returning. and Prejudice and Zombies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, she was in Mr. Holmes. Uh, neither of none of those movies I've seen. Um, although, actually, she was in Star Wars The Last Jedi. I forgot about that. She has like, a very blink and you'll miss it role. Um, okay. but yeah, she, she's the main character in here. Uh, but also Connie Nielsen, who I was not expecting to see in this movie. Uh, wonderful yeah. to see her, uh, Doug Ray Scott as well. Uh, Doug Ray Scott, of course, uh, another mission impossible veteran. He was the villain in the mission impossible too. Uh, I think probably one of my favorite things he ever did was probably ever after the main love interest in that one. Um, but yeah, he's another actor. I can't remember the last time I saw him in something. But uh, so this, like I said, science fiction, thriller slash horror. It's kind of like Alien meets The Thing meets Contagion, right? But also it's like the movie Underwater where they're in like the ocean. But they're not not really underwater a lot in this movie. They're on a fishing trawler west of Ireland. And uh, all of a sudden during this expedition where Hermione Corfield's character, she's a researcher lab person trying to find out more about some of the local wildlife. She is on this boat with this kind of like blue collar crew, you know, your typical archetypes from like an alien or the thing. And they all sort of look at her with a little bit of a hesitation because she has red hair. And so they're a little bit superstitious. So there's this, there's this like feeling of dread, you know, of like, Oh, here comes this this science ration logic person come to ruin our fun. Um, it's not nearly that uh, simplistic, but there that is like the core dynamic. And just as they're moving along in the open waters, we see that their ship has been uh, it's it's collided with a surprise parasite sort of creature, which is latched onto the hull. And from there, a lot of creepy, weird stuff starts to happen. 
And this movie kind of jumps genres a little bit here and there. Uh, at times, like I said, it's a little bit like Alien. Then other times, it's kind of like Contagion, where it's a bit of a quarantine movie. And the, the film deals with these big questions about whether or not it's ethical to contain a virus that could harm other people. And I, for some reason, I thought that was a little relevant to uh, 2020. I don't know why, but, you know, just kind of is, right? Mm-hmm. This film mm-hmm. premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival back in September. A lot of people had a chance to see it at Fantastic Fest as well, I believe. And it is uh, it is a really solid movie. I, I really thought it was uh, solid. It's not amazing. It's not the most surprising, unexpected, unpredictable movie I think you're going to see. But for what you get, I think it's slickly produced. I think it looks good. I think the production design is on point. The The trawler itself feels very lived in. It feels very uh, creepy, but at the same time, it feels like a place that should be comfortable and a place where these characters should find respite. But then it also feels kind of cramped and claustrophobic. It's really well done uh, production design, like I said. It's just it, it, the setting itself really works here. I think that it, the location in general is really smart because unlike the movie underwater which i haven't seen but you know just judging from the trailers that movie is really fanciful it's it's all about the spectacle it's all about these like creatures apparently that are like you know very sci-fi whereas this movie it's sci-fi in a much more grounded realistic way like this actually feels like something that could happen but at the same time it's dealing with something very unknown that the audience has no bearings for like it, it involves like a creature that is completely mysterious but at the same time, kind of like the thing, it's it's not something that is, you know, full on uh, sci fi mumbo jumbo or anything like it's not it's not like a, I'm trying to think of like a good point of reference besides underwater, maybe something more people have seen. But, uh, you know, I, I'd say that it's closer to I was going to say the descent, but that might make people think it's kind of different. <laughs> like it's a little bit more of like that kind of movie. It's not like the descent at all. But in terms of like those creatures sort of feeling like, oh man, that creeps me out because like that could happen to me in that sense. It's actually pretty accurate to this movie. And a lot of this movie is not trying to be scary, interestingly enough. Like it's not trying just to creep you out and make you uncomfortable. It's actually trying to make you think and it's trying to be like, okay, how do we solve this problem? What could have happened to this person? Uh, but then I like how the movie also lets you experience these these scenes that are wickedly gory and disgusting, and but not in a way that I thought was uh, for the sake of it. It actually it, it actually feels earned. It actually feels like the movie is trying to say something with its use of uh, gore and these special effects. So it's a small movie. It's it doesn't have these wild aspirations. It just feels like a movie that Nisa Hardiman really wanted to make and put her heart and soul into it. And it really works that Hermione Corfield was cast here because I think she's absolutely wonderful as our main character. Uh, everybody's good in this, um, including Olwen Ferrer, who I don't know if many as many people are as familiar um, uh, with her, but then also a few unknowns, people I've never seen in films before, Jack Hickey and Ellie Bukazi. But then there's also uh, someone named Ardalyn Ismali who becomes one of the, like slowly becomes like the real main character like ally to our main character who I thought he was just absolutely fantastic here. Uh, not, not an incredible knock your socks off movie by any means, but I think well worth checking out sea fever. Uh, I give this one a really solid B and uh, probably the first movie I've seen from the uh, gunpowder and sky folks that I actually really liked. I did. Mm-hmm. I honestly can't remember the last thing from them. I've liked, it's been a while probably, but uh 
they're probably better known for releasing a lot of VOD things that are kind of bottom of the barrel, not things that we, we would normally cover on the show, but I'm glad that we had a chance, you know, to silver lining of what's been going on. We had a chance to actually see, or I had a chance to actually see this film. I don't know if I would have otherwise. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I did. So that's Sea Fever. Uh, Will, have I convinced you that uh, you're going jump, to uh, jump off this, this Skype call and check out Sea Fever uh, as soon as we're done? Oh, yeah. I mean, it seems interesting. I mean, I, I think my only point is that I think you're underselling Gunpowder in Sky as far as what they're doing because they've had some good films like Her What did I miss? Last year, I couldn't for think instance. of something. Um, I know they had Prospect, which did, you know, I, I think that got a pretty good response. And then I didn't see Prospect. The, uh, everything, everybody's Everything, the uh, Little Peep doc, and then uh, Lords of Chaos, and then the one you really liked, uh, Hearts Beat Loud, and... Yeah, oh, you're right. Stuff. Yeah, I did like that movie. Yeah. Okay. Good call. Good call. And Cam, Little Hours is one you really enjoyed. Yes, I did like Little uh, Hours. That was yeah. so long ago. Uh, but although Cam wasn't too long ago, that was like 2018. So yeah, you're right. it hasn't been that long. Yeah. 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 Uh, I guess I've been so, burned a little bit just, by some other more recent things. Okay. But yeah, just just saying they, they have produced some quality uh, quality stuff. So I, I don't want to like make it seem like they're like a trashy studio. Just got lucky here. Oh, totally. Totally. All right, that's sure. Sea Fever. Uh, probably probably the best thing I've seen. <laughs> Let's move on, though. Uh, it's a movie that you've also seen, mm-hmm. Will Ashen. Sella yeah. and the mm-hmm. Speeds. Uh, this one premiered at the Sundance Film Festival last January, so it's kind of been in release limbo for the last year, and it just came out on Amazon Prime Video uh, just this past week. It was written and directed yeah. by Tyree Chappell, who I'm not as familiar with. I, don't, I think this might be her first film. It stars Lovey Simone, yeah, Celeste O'Connor, mm-hmm. uh, Jarrell Jerome, who you'll recognize, of course, from Moonlight and When They See Us, and Jesse Williams and Gina Torres. Uh, Will Ashen, you had a chance to see this as well. What What, did you, what is uh, Sella and the Spades all about? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess the easiest point of comparison would probably be like Dear White People, because it follows... Uh, Sila, who is like a senior in, in a PA boarding school, uh, she is one part of a group of factions. There's like the Billies, and I forget the name of the other ones, where it's like four or five, maybe six different student factions who, uh, you know, just kind of control their own section of the school. And uh, the Spades, they sell drugs, but they also are looking for someone to kind of take over the reins now that uh, Sila is going to be graduating at the end of the year. And um, she has a friend named Maxie, and uh, they've been basically doing this efficient drug operation for a good while. But uh, she becomes friends with this new girl. I forget the actress's name. I, know, I think you mentioned uh, yes, her name. Yes, Celeste O'Connor. In the movie, her name is uh, uh, Paloma. Yeah, that's it. And uh, she kind of she goes under Celeste's uh, wing, and she's like a photographer for the school newspaper. But over time, she becomes one with the seniors and then there's some question of doubts as far as uh what Sila's intentions are with her and then uh that's one of uh, several things that happens in this movie <laughs> as it goes along yeah yeah it's, uh the movie really kicks off with laying out all right here is our version of hogwarts basically like it definitely reminded me a lot of dear white people in terms of like here are a yeah. bunch of in this case it's high school instead of college and it's a boarding school at that but yeah, here is this like really thought out lived in world where a lot of things have already gone down and there's a lot of strife between all of these groups of people. But instead of it being about more like racism and social politics, this one is kind of like a gangland, the wire sort of thing where all of these factions sort of they compete with each other, but they also rely on each other quite a bit. So you mentioned the Sella, Sella's group, the Spades. 
they're kind of the head, right? She's a bit of the the queen mm-hmm. bee in charge of everything because the drugs they sell fuel what the other factions do. There's a faction that throws all the parties. There is a faction that helps people um, study for like their tests and everything because they're hungover from the parties. Uh, so it's it's that kind of dynamic where the drugs are sort of the focal point, but then there's also like the faction that's like supposed to be the good one where they help give this air of presentability so the the faculty doesn't get wise to what's really going on. And this movie also has a lot of Ryan Murphy energy where these high schoolers are just like, it's it's very over the top, like their lives and the things they talk about and how adult they're acting or like they think they're acting like their whole lives are just completely compare in that way to that show he did the politician is it similar to that it's very it's similar ish to the politician like the way if you saw the politician on netflix where yeah you have these the way those students run that campaign the joke is that they're they're treating it they're taking it so seriously like they're they're so hyper competent when it comes to but they're still high schoolers and so that's like the tension that ryan murphy likes to inject yeah. in shows like that and glee and all that and selling the spades has it but at the same time it doesn't play it for comedy it plays it for like serious yeah, introspective drama <laughs> yeah i don't yeah. i don't know if i would say it's grounded necessarily but it does feel like the art house version of well, that kind of thing. Grounded compared to those shows. Not like grounded yes. together, but grounded compared to like the position yeah. and Ryan Murphy stuff is what I meant. Yeah. Right. It's not another world. It, it feels a little bit more of like this could be happening somewhere, but if it is, we should be concerned because that's it's very unusual. Um, also, it's Pennsylvania, right? So, uh, you know. Yeah, PA. I'm sure you went to this boarding yeah. school. I'll be honest. <laughs> I, I like I like the location of this movie. I like that it, it is in a boarding school, that it is sort of presenting boarding school students as an other you know, it's it's not trying to be yeah. relatable. It's not trying to be like their high school experience is like yours. It's sort of on purpose being like what these students are going through. We should be, yeah, like I said, concerned. <laughs> like this is not normal. Yeah. My only thing is that like, I don't know, I'm getting kind of tired of like every high school movie now being like centered around like elite genius high schoolers. Like I, I kind of miss movies about just like, you know, everyday normal yeah, I mean, there's like Lady Bird and stuff, but like, I just feel like a lot of high school movies recently have been like, you know, like even like movies like Spider-Man Homecoming or like, you know, they're in like a higher class uh, high school, like something that's not really like it's relatable. It's in presentation, but it's also a little different from the normal high school presentation. But it is a good location. Like, I think it's very uh, appealing on the eye. And I think it, it, it is a little different than what we might get from other high school movies. It's definitely a different type of location, yeah, than you would get with something like maybe Mean Girls. This this movie has a lot sure. of like similar messaging that Mean Girls has in terms of, you know, a queen bee who uh, is sort of figuring out the real consequences of her actions and the manip- the manipulations that she is responsible for. Uh, it's another thing though that I do also find taking really... a younger girl under a wing. Yeah, exactly. But what I find super refreshing about this character in particular and a lot about a lot of this cast is that she is African American, and the movie yeah. doesn't make bones about it. They just they let this queen be be someone who in normal movies would be a bit of a token, who would be like a supporting, yeah. you know like mean character instead of like a fully fleshed out, you know, character in this way. And unlike dear white people, it's not making the whole thing about racism. It actually is exploring a different sure. uh, idea here, which I thought was like, man, like I can't remember the last time I saw something like that. Like our three main characters are all black and they're all like totally unique and uniquely motivated. Yeah. I was gonna say, it's not just the leads. I mean, I think 
There's only one like primary supporting character who's a white character, if I remember correctly. I mean, almost like three fourths of the cast are African Americans, which is definitely, like you said, refreshing to see. Yeah, in a lot of ways, it's uh, mm-hmm. it, it's almost a little bit, even though it it presents this school as a bit like unusual and extraordinary and something that we're not used to. It does kind of yeah. have a little bit more of like this is kind of what high school looks like. Um, even though this movie, yeah. in other ways, is totally different from what high school today looks like. Kind of to what you're saying, where it does center yeah. around like mm-hmm. g- hyper-competent genius people. Uh, there aren't like cell phones in this movie, I noticed. Like there's there's a lot of like uh, of a timeless appeal it. to it. Yeah, I, I don't, I, there might have been cell phones here and there, but most of the time, you know, the movie doesn't really revolve around uh, modern technology. It's not a high school movie that's like, this person texted me this, or like it doesn't center around social media. It doesn't yeah. center around all of these other like hot button things that sort of date modern movies in a lot of ways. You know, like uh, another movie I was going to bring up was probably Booksmart, which probably does the, the trope that you're referring to where it centers around two people who are really smart, I guess. But it's kind of about that at the same time. And even that movie, which which I really enjoy, right. I think it'll age well because it feels more of a generational movie. But some of the stuff in there, like Uber, you know, who knows what that's going to look like years from now. And if people are still going to find that relevant yeah. to them, probably not. I don't know. I mean, I think, I don't know. I feel like I was thinking about this earlier. Like, Booksmark is probably going to age probably the same way, like, maybe, like, Superbad did. Where it'll that's feel like I mean, it's yeah. time, but I don't think, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where it's like it's going right. to be appreciated for the time it came out in addition to how good it actually is. Uh, whereas like other movies feel a little bit more like they're not good enough to stand up on their own years later, uh, I guess. But in, in Maybe, terms of yeah. selling the spades, I'd say it's not really in that category. Yeah. It, it is kind of its own thing. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think what like kind of going off what you were saying earlier, for me, selling spades very much feels like the kind of film that like if I saw in a film festival, it would be like, the middle of the day film two on like day three that I see. Like, I don't think it's a movie that's like the one that's going to stand out the most for me at a film festival. And I don't think it's the one that's like, I'm going to walk away like championing the most, but uh, I think there's a lot to value here. And I think most of it comes from the performances, which are uh, all across the board really good. I mean, I was kind of surprised. I thought Jesse Williams was going to be in it more <laughs> based on uh, how prominent of a like he's like the biggest name in it but he's really only in about like two or three scenes but yeah it's i think it's like played as a joke almost that he has no bearing yeah. on these kids lives even though he tries to be so right. intimidating right yeah and I, i'm sure that you know like that was intentional but yeah otherwise it's a fairly like it's not super indie but it's maybe more indie than some of the movies will traditionally cover on this show which was in some ways refreshing and i think ultimately like i was telling you before i find this to be a very messy film by and large. And I think in some ways it's messy in a charming way and in some ways it's messy in a frustrating way because, um, like you said, I think a lot of tension and a lot of time was put into like building the metrics and the different anatomy of like this world and like how all the factions work and like just kind of laying out the broad strokes of like that operation, that aspect. And I think those elements, especially at the beginning, are a lot of fun. Um, but I think in terms of the presentation of the film, it feels weirdly sort of shapeless. And I think it has a lot of standout moments, and I think that often comes from the performances, but I, I don't think it really has a flow in a way that felt more grating as it went along because there would be some really standout scenes and some scenes that are shot in very interesting ways with strong performances. And then I just don't really think there's a connective tissue that really make it stand out in a way that made an altogether good film. But 
I could see if you checked it out, you know, especially now on Amazon Prime and you just wanted to see something that's a little familiar, but also presented in a fun, unique way. I mean, it's worthwhile. No, I mean, I, I kind of disagree with some of that, honestly. Like, I do agree with some of what you're saying. At- I think that it's not a, it's not perfectly structured or anything like that. There are a few hiccups where I thought uh, the movie does a little bit too much to really ground out you know, some of the violent acts that have to happen and some of the rivalries in our main faction and things like that. And, but I did actually think it flowed pretty well. Uh, I do agree that there aren't a ton of standout scenes, but I do think there are enough that uh, it felt like they really had some, some tension to them. And I think part of the reason is because I think this movie does something. It did something that a lot of movies haven't done for me in a little bit. And that's a really surprised me with some of the filmmaking. Like there were some interesting auditory tricks that Poe and her cinematographer, uh, Jomo Frey actually inserted here, like little things of like where a character will be talking. And uh, while that character is talking, another character is not listening to the person and sort of drive at home. We hear a voiceover of what they're reading overshadow the person talking it's like little things like that where i was like yeah yeah that's that's kind of a unique thing you don't really see in a lot of movies like playing around with what we hear and background noise and and things of that nature and then kind of turning it into a plot point not just doing it you know just to be unique for the sake of it but actually doing it with a narrative purpose so there were little things like that that stood out for me and then also I would just say, you know, I kind of said this is like an art house version of these movies, even though I don't love some of the subject matter and some of the way this movie gets a little bogged down and it's the way the characters talk and interact. I thought, man, some of, some of these scenes and the way, some of the ways that these characters uh, try to outwit each other really stood out to me. And I, if there's anything that I would want from this movie is I think it needs more content and I'm actually really glad they're going to be turning this into a a series on Amazon prime. And I I think that's, that's going to be a great format for this because it feels at some points like the sequel to a bit more of an interesting movie. I think the more interesting movie and outline of Sela is how did she get to this point? And there aren't, there aren't a lot of places where we get that insight into how did she become the person she is? The person she is, is very interesting, but it's sort of like if you started with Godfather part two and not the Godfather, if that makes any sense, like you need both movies to fully appreciate the character of Michael Corleone. And in here, it just feels like you're getting the latter part of this fascinating person. And it ends in a place where I wanted more and not in the best way, where I felt like I didn't fully understand how she got to this point. So that's my main criticism, but I still really dig this. Really excited about this series coming out. Uh, I don't know when it's coming out, but I, I really hope it's going to be coming out soon because I think that this is a really cool location idea for for a show. Absolutely. And I think it's a pretty solid movie, too, that uh, you can check out right now on Prime Video. Pretty accessible as well. So I'm a B on it. Pretty solid B. Uh, but what about you, Will? Uh, ultimately, I'm a B minus on it. Um, like I said, I think there's a lot to value in here. I don't think we, I mean, we talked about a little bit as far as the filmmaking presentation, but I really did enjoy the cinematography um, just because there are, I, I mean, I don't know if I was quite as taken by some of those choices that you were talking about, but I, I there were a couple scenes where like they were just shot in a way that I was anticipating or it was just a little bit unique in a way that I think gave it a little bit more vibrancy and, you know, made it a little bit more intriguing in a way that uh, I really appreciated, but. Yeah, by and large, I think it's a messy film, uh, and I think it's one of those films that I wish came together a little bit better, just because the elements I do like a lot, particularly the performances, I think would have been benefited from a film that was as good as them. So 
Uh, yeah, it's fine. I mean, I'd be curious to check out the show, but I know like when um, Dear White People came out, that was a film where I was like, I, I liked it. I think I was about the same as where you are with this film on that film. But mm-hmm. I was also like, you know, like that, that seems like that movie has maybe one too many ideas. Like it has like it wants to say so much, but it only has two hours to say it. So like a show would uh, expand it out. And from what I've heard, it is a good show, but I've yeah, only really watched really a few episodes of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for it's good, but I, I just never got around to watching it. And I don't know if that'll be the same here where it just... Because of my bad TV habits, like, I don't know if I'll ever get around to watching it, but I'd be curious for them to flesh it out just because what works here is uh, definitely intriguing. So I'd be curious to see where that goes. I'd be curious to see where the filmmaker goes as well. I'm assuming she's going to be involved with the show uh, pretty uh, heavily. So heavily. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that is Sella and the Spades. Now on Amazon Prime, uh, I give it a B. Will Ashton gives it a B minus. All right, let's talk about another film. Um, the last few films we're going to talk about, I'm just going to sort of do some quick overviews, not fully in depth because I'm the only one who saw them. Uh, there, there's anything else that you saw this week, Will? Um, I know that's, where, that's going to be uh, different for next week. I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, I've seen a couple things, but they're older films. Like, well, not like right. older, just like they came out last year. So they wouldn't be as fresh to talk about. But if you want me to go over them real quick, I can. It's up to you. Sure. Yeah. So, so what are the, some of the recent things that you've seen that have been not quite as new, but maybe something that yeah, maybe some fans of the show might want to check out? Um. So, I mean, mostly I've been catch up on TV. So I've been watching Succession on HBO, uh, which I'm really enjoying. I'm only on the first season right now. And I heard season two is where it gets like really good. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm excited to check that out. But what I'm seeing so far, I'm digging and that's uh, on HBO and also for the time being on Hulu for free or if you have a Hulu subscription. Yeah. Um, so I'm enjoying I'm enjoying that. Uh, I've been catch up on that recently. And then I watched the last Rambo movie, which I know uh, Sam, when he was on the show a few months ago, talked about pretty in depth. So I'll be quick yeah. here and just say that um, that movie. I mean, I don't know. I saw it just to see it, I guess. Um, Sylvester Stallone, all the I guess, got to give. Seen. Yeah. Um, it's one of those films where for like the first well, not even the first, like for about, it's about 88 minutes long and like 70 minutes of it is just absolutely terrible. Like worse than I anticipated, <laughs> which is wow. saying something because I had pretty low standards going in. It's a really bad film. Like it's artless and it's presentation. The writing is very stock and it's also just a very mean spirited and ugly film visually and then just morally. Uh, and that's not even going into its depiction of race, which is uh, troublesome at best. But uh, the end basically becomes R-rated uh, Home Alone. And it's not particularly pretty to look at, but it, it is uh, at least something. Uh, and it does, uh, I can't give away what, but it does build and lead up to one promising ending scene that was, uh, for me, watching it like on a Saturday in quarantine was pretty fun. So I can't recommend that movie at all unless you want to watch the end of it, which I don't know why you would. Um, so I guess don't bother with that altogether. And then I also saw Angel Has Fallen, which is another, I guess, concluding uh, fairly right wing leaning uh, action movie series. I don't know why I picked those two films to watch. Cause yeah, I don't either. I guess I just <laughs> use my time poorly. Um, but uh, that's on Netflix right now. And uh, I watched that for an article I'm writing and uh, it's fine. It's just very middle of the road uh, action movie, um, I guess, about the same, just maybe a little less racist than the last two. Uh, so uh, um, I don't know. Wherever you stand on the last two films, I guess that's where you stand on this one for the most part. So uh, yeah, that's all I've been watching this week. I hope I can catch some better things uh, next week. But that's what yeah. I saw. Me too. 
All right. Well, yeah. oh, I also saw Joshua in the Promised Land. Oh Forgot to talk gosh. about that one, but I don't know if you uh, want me to talk about that one. Nope. <laughs> uh, an animated movie from 2003. Listeners, just just look it up and you'll see why Four. I reacted the way I yeah. did. It's all on YouTube. It's oh all on YouTube. Gosh. All right. Well, I'm going to talk about two films here that we're going to go on a little bit of a journey because these are two movies that I I think are bad. I think they're bad movies. I don't know which yeah. one is worse, and I'm trying to figure okay. it out because I I'm kind of split. Okay, well, I've heard about Endings and Beginnings. I haven't heard yeah. this other one. Yeah, so, so the, this first movie is I, called... I, yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, no, I was going to say start with Endings and Beginnings, but you might as well start with the one I haven't heard about so I can know what it is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this one, you will recognize its main characters. This is called Abe, and it's about an aspiring chef who is Abe Lincoln? 12 years okay. old. Not Abe Lincoln. Um, no. He uh, actually starts the movie off as like, some people call me Abraham, and the reason is because his, he is half Israeli, and half Palestinian. Okay. And that's right. So one parent is Jewish, the other is Arabic. And they're for obvious reasons, because Israeli and Palestinian, there's a lot of tension and strife between his families. But Abe doesn't care. He's 12 years well, he cares, but he he doesn't have time to uh, mm-hmm. worry about that too much because he's 12 years old and he wants yeah. so badly to be an incredible chef. He loves food. He lives in Brooklyn, New York, so he's surrounded by some of the best food in the world. And you will recognize uh, Abe, possibly, who is played here by Noah Schnapp, who is, of course, Will from Stranger Things. And that's right. Will, who we barely see in the first season, who I'd say of all the characters in the show, they really just don't know what to do with the guy in Stranger Things. I think it's very strange. Oh, you're talking about? Noah okay. Schnapp? Will? I think you were referring to me. You kept met, you kept saying Will, so I thought you were talking to me. Not really Will confused. Ashton. Will Byers. <laughs> okay. Will Byers. Okay. Um, you know, it's kind of funny too because I was I was gonna mention something about selling the space. Now that I think about it, that I I totally forgot to, and that's the fact that in that in that movie, it's sort of implied that Sella is asexual. Um, she doesn't really feel attraction yeah. to other people. Well, not not implied. It's it's pretty much suggested. Well, the, it's suggested, heavily suggested. I'd, I'd say that, yeah, they don't come right out and say it, but they definitely try to make it unambiguous. And something about Will in Stranger Things is I think in the first season, they suggest, or maybe they more imply that he is homosexual, but they don't come right out and say it. And then I think the show sort of forgets about that over the rest of its time, like it never really comes back to that. And to the point where some people have actually debated in the third season, maybe he's asexual and the show is just sort of like not wanting to get into it. Either way, I think that whatever you think of Stranger Things, I think one downfall of that show is that it always forgets to characterize just that character of Will. And I think it's not Noah Schnapp's fault. I think he's a pretty good actor. And I'd say that in Abe, he's the best thing about this movie. I think that he carries it and makes it about as good as it is. But this is one of those movies where, for some reason, the director here, Fernando Costin Andrade, who I'm not as familiar with, I, I think he's only directed one other film, for some reason, he has taken this really lovely portrait of an upbeat kid trying to balance food and and learning about food fusion he comes across this like mentor figure it's kind of like searching for bobby fisher where he finds his Lawrence fishburne right who's like the sage who teaches him the ways of like making food putting food from this culture uniting with this culture i wonder if i can relate that to my family and you know as i'm watching the movie and i'm ca- i'm seeing all of that i'm like yes of course that's what this movie is it's saying this message I'm like, you know what? That's pretty predictable, but I don't care. It's fun. It's it's a fun part of New York. It's this kid's life, and it's interesting. His parents, oh, that's weird. His parents are sure fighting a lot in this happy-go-lucky movie. 
Okay, now now everybody's fighting quite a lot, and it's really uncomfortable, and I don't like it. Okay, now people are crying. Now it's depressing. This movie is just depressing. Like, it just, it throws all of the things you hate the most about oppressive arguments and families, and it does it over and over again. And it's like an onslaught of strife and conflict that doesn't go anywhere so that by the time you get to the very end and you're like, well, this is how, this is where the movie ends up. I was just so annoyed and tired. And this movie that I think otherwise would have been so nice, you know, like not amazing, not stop everything and go check it out. Good. Just, just nice. It ends up just being like, I, I feel like I, I sat through like Thanksgiving with the most dysfunctional, uh, easily set off relatives in the world. So it's funny too, because watching Plot Against America, the the HBO show, where that that show kind of has a lot of that as well. It has a lot of characters of the same family arguing with each other about politics. But whereas like that show does it in a way that like you feel like it has a purpose to it. Like you feel like you're you're really seeing you're getting something out of those arguments because you're seeing how it relates to their characterization and who they are. And here it, it just makes everybody feel rotten. You know, like the dad in particular, he's an atheist, right? So he like he is such a bad dad to this kid most of the movie because he's kind of like the the kid is like, hey, you know, like I, I want to support, you know, my Muslim grandparents and do this thing for Ramadan. And then I also want to be there for like my, my Jewish family and do these traditions. And his dad's like, you should hate everybody. Like, it's just like this kind of thing is like, why are you saying this, father? Like, why are it's like that kind of atheism that is like very snobby and that, you know, I, I've seen it in real life before. I've seen atheism sort of come about in this way, but nine times out of 10, like that's not the case. And this movie kind of really paints this guy as a bit of like one dimensional in terms of his own sort of like religion, which feels like atheism. And then everybody else, like I'd say with the exception of the mother here played by Dagmar Dominsik, or Dominsik, if I'm pronouncing it right. Uh, she's the only one who kind of feels like she sees how ridiculous all of this is, but the movie just can never focus in on what she's experiencing and how that relates back to the Abe character. And ah, this movie, you said selling the spades was a mess. I, I, I can't say it's a mess because I saw Abe and I'd say this movie, what a mess. I mean, there's like all of these sub threads that are just so weirdly out of place where you have like this bully character who shows up on Tumblr from time to time and his arc doesn't make any sense. It's not an arc. And I don't know when this movie is like working, it's when it's like, it's okay that we're being predictable because you know, it's nice. This kid's learning to cook. That's fun. But then it has to like throw politics and religion into it where it just feels like the, the harmony that the movie's searching for when it comes to flavors does not translate to all the different uh, subject matters they're throwing in there as well. So yeah, it, Abe really bummed me out and I, I'm really confused too, because it has good reviews. It's like 75% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's actually in the 90%, like 90% or something like that not too long ago. And the audience score is 86%. So what do I know? People seem to be digging this. I thought this was like really hard to watch. Um, I, I definitely did not enjoy it whatsoever. Uh, I shouldn't say that. I enjoyed certain aspects of it, but most of it, I just did not feel like I got it. I, I did not feel satisfied. Uh, I had a bit of a stomach ache after watching Abe, but uh, have you heard it? You said you haven't heard anything about Abe? only from you basically dang okay yeah uh it came out at sundance uh, i think this past year or the year before i don't remember but yeah it's it's on vod doubt. right now yeah the other movie oh yeah i didn't grade it i don't even know how to grade this uh i think it's it's like between a c minus and a c and i think it's a, like a c minus at this point where 
Uh, I, I want to give it a C because I do really think Noah Schnapp is really talented and uh, I don't think any of the performances necessarily in here are bad. I, I just think the writing is just really over the top and insufferable. Which brings us to Endings Beginnings, which uh, is from a director that both of us are more familiar with, Drake Duranis. Uh, so yeah. give myself a little bit of a break from talking. Uh, Will, what, 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 what is your, your background with the filmography of Duranis? Um, so mostly I know him from like crazy, which is a film I really enjoyed from 2011 that had Felicity jo- or yeah, Jones, right? Um, Felicity Jones from yeah. Rogue One and Theory of Everything. Yep. Uh, and then the late Anton Yelchin, as well as an early appearance from, uh, Jennifer Lawrence in that one year period between Winter's Bone and, uh, Hunger Games yeah. slash, uh, um, Silver Lions Playbook. So it was like just that that time in her life when she was a name, but before she became like the biggest actress in the world. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I know him primarily from then. I think that's like his calling card. After that, I've only seen one other film from him, which is um, the one. What was it called? Equals. Yeah. Which was Kristen, Kristen Stewart. Stewart and then uh, Nicholas Holt, which I just remember being really dull. It had kind of an interesting sci fi premise. And then uh, I just found it to be. Uh, pretty pretty much a slog to sit through but i did want to see i, I think you made one called breathe in with a uh, guy pierce yeah i haven't seen um that. that i wanted to see yeah and i never got around to seeing that one and i know his film prior to like crazy is uh, i think a film called douchebag which i've seen the trailer for and it looks like kind of a fun very low budget uh dark comedy road trip comedy yeah um so those are the only films of his i know off the top of my head other than endings beginnings yeah so we we should point out that uh like crazy is probably his only his only like real success like it's kind of the movie that uh, yeah kind of put him on a bit more of a platform uh, it's the reason he was able to make mm-hmm. a bunch of other movies that yeah none of them have really quite yeah. reached the same like people like i know people who aren't huge movie fans or like uh aren't hardcore cinephiles or anything like that who like that movie or have seen it and really enjoy it a lot of the reason is because it came out at, at a time like you said where jennifer lawrence was becoming a bigger star and after Hunger Games, people were kind of looking into other movies with her and they found like crazy and they liked it. And Anton Yelchin also, you yeah. know, since Star Trek at that time was starting to get more of a mm-hmm. reputation. And of course, and Felicity Jones was like Felicity right Jones. before mm-hmm. Theory of Everything, you know. So all that said, uh, you know, from there, yeah, you're right. He he did a couple of other like indie things and he tried a few sci-fi movies, like you said, with Equals and this other one called Zoe. The only movie I've seen from him besides Like Crazy, which is a movie I do like. Um, even though I think that it is very indicative yep. of its time, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's very indicative of, of life and culture of people our age in 2011. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, it's one of those films that, uh, I, I remember liking a lot when I saw it, it was one of the rare films where I saw it all by myself. Cause no one else was in the theater when I saw it. Um, <laughs> but, um, I, I do imagine it's like one of those films that, like you said, it's, it is of its time. Like I can't imagine it's age. I don't think it's aged poorly. I mean, I don't know, but I imagine. I have it's, Yeah, I would know, have like to see it Garden again. State things. Yeah, it's probably like a Garden State kind of thing where it's like, yeah, yeah. I I'd say uh, Garden State. It's an interesting comparison, but yeah, like like crazy. It's you know, it's not a movie that I I have any ill feeling toward. It does remind me of a very specific time in my life and in culture at the time yeah. where it was kind of like well, the I mean, height of by, like hipster yeah. fatigue. I want to say. We were really mm-hmm. starting to see like that counterculture become really tired, like become a little bit yeah. more like people are becoming more aware of it or more self-aware. But uh, this movie still kind of came out kind of in an earnest way, considered like people that age sort of like, yeah. really, like with the guys like a carpenter. Well, that's what I mean. All that stuff. Yeah. 
Well, that's what I mean by Garden State. Is that I'm, I guess people are more negative on it than I am, which is that I recognize that it's a flawed film of its time, but I appreciate that it's an earnest uh, indie, very Sundance type indie that I think was uh, just a product of its time. And that I, I think it, it, it had to come out and be as popular as it was only then. Like, I don't think it could have been as popular as it was now or even a few years before it. So it just it just came out the right time. I think it's kind of what happened with Garden State as well. So that's where mm-hmm. I compare the two. But like I said, I haven't seen either in years. So who knows? Well, Endings Beginnings, there's a comma in between, is his latest yeah, film. And I think that space. It, it's clearly, yes, there's clear, this clearly is an attempt for Doremus to sort of harken back to the movie that really put him on the map, right? As a filmmaker, uh, he yeah. wrote the screenplay along with Jardine LeBaire. And that's not something he does very mm-hmm. often, I don't think. I don't think he's written a lot of his films. Um, I don't think he wrote well, like I think crazy, he wrote if I'm not like crazy. I think did he? He, I thought he wrote like crazy. Maybe he did, and I'm just. I thought that was like an auto. I thought that was like one. I thought that was like his most autobiographical film. Maybe what I have confused is that he has to get a lot of help writing his films. Yeah. Maybe that's more of like where Maybe. my mind is at on it because um, I, I feel like with every movie he's he's had to have like some sort of person who did like the bulk of the work, but it's like based on his ideas for the story. Maybe. Um, either way. That yeah. seems well, to be I, the case here. I think his style is also very improv heavy. Like it feels like kind of like on the fly. Well, it's I good that you bring that up as well. Yes. So yeah. endings, beginnings for a movie with a screenplay like this, uh, it, it's actually probably being generous because a lot of this movie is improvised. And this is, if you thought like crazy was kind of indicative of its time, this movie is indicative of a time even before that movie. Because it's so oh, mumblecore. <laughs> Holy cow! Yeah. I'm watching it and I'm like, wait a minute. I thought we, go- I thought we got over this. I thought we we decided as Where's a Greta class <laughs> that this was done. Greta Gerwig, <laughs> she she proved that it's over. We don't need this anymore. This type of style where people are talking over each other and they're trying to talk like real people, even though that's not how people talk. It's just how screenwriters improv talk. That's kind of where endings beginnings begins. It it makes uh, it wastes no time telling you that yeah this yeah, is a ends. bit of a throwback in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and also very similar to like crazy, it has a bit of a love triangle, and that love triangle consists of Shailene Woodley and Jamie Dornan and Sebastian Stan. Um, I guess some people would say like crazy is kind of like a a square. Well, I mean, are you saying the triangle is between Anton? Felicity and Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, yeah, that's a love triangle. Because Jennifer Lawrence, because Jennifer Lawrence never met Felicity Jones's character, if I remember correctly. It was that's just fine. More like... Love triangle doesn't need them to be. It's fine. It's a little sure. love triangle. Um, but yeah, so in this movie, Shailene Woodley. You have an open definition of love triangle, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> open relationship, <laughs> open definitions. Sure. Um, so. Charlene Woodley stars as a character named Daphne, who is uh, kind of in her late 20s. She is dealing with a lot of uncertainty. She doesn't know what she wants to do next. Uh, She recently quit her job for reasons that are ambiguous. She just dealt with a pretty bad breakup. Oh, geez. No, it just sounds like every indie cliche. (laughs) I just keep hearing you talking. It's like, what is it? Well, you just need to watch the movie. I was just just providing... (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah i was just providing indie i was providing mumblecore commentary i was talking while you were talking <laughs> oh man yes but yes it, it does sound pretty familiar doesn't it she's living in her sister's pool yeah. house and she uh she oh, doesn't wait. know what to do and she's really struggling <laughs> uh but you know oh, wouldn't man. she know it right does as she, she swears is off, there a scene 
Is there a scene where she sits in the empty pool tub, like on a lawn chair, <laughs> reflecting on life? There's several. Uh, <laughs> okay. I'm not kidding. There are several in like the first act. All right. So um, it's shaking off a lot of boxes here. <laughs> but of course, right as she decides, you know what? I'm swearing off boys. I'm swearing off drinking. I'm going to try to be sober. Who needs By it? the way, oh, the wow. way this movie deals with like addiction <laughs> to alcohol is actually dangerous. Like it is legitimately sure. terrifying that Doremus like, thinks that it's okay for like this sort of sober curious thing to be like, yeah, I'm trying to maybe not drink for a while. And people come up to her and they're like, what are you stupid? Like, what? no, Drake. What? Now you know why we made this episode Drake and Josh themed. But anyway, so. Uh, huh. Huh. There you know. <laughs> yeah, there you go. The more you know. <laughs> You had to listen all the way to the <laughs> to our last review to find out <laughs> what yeah. the joke is. Um, but yeah, right as she decides, she swears she's like, "I'm not having sex for a whole year." Wow. Three days later, she goes to a party, and wouldn't you know it, she meets mm. a couple of guys. One of them's played by Jamie Dornan. The other one is played by Sebastian Stan. And you're probably thinking, "But John, Jamie Dornan and Sebastian Stan look alike. They both are white guys with dark hair and facial scrub." And you know what? I, mean, I, I, I say called out. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you you almost got cast, but uh, you, no, you had a scheduling oh, that's conflict. That's a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think yeah, Shailene Woodley clearly likes a certain type of dude uh, because you literally meet her ex boyfriend mm-hmm. too, uh, pretty early on. Huh. And you're not going to believe this, but she, he also has dark hair and facial hair. Uh, but anyway, so oh, nice. Um, Basically, she gets in this love triangle where she likes both guys and they like her. And we find out, oh, no, they're best friends. What is she going to do? That is a love triangle. (laughs) Exactly. One of them is, you know, he's got his life together. You know, smart guy. He's very sensitive. He's a writer, almost like a screenwriter, but a novel (laughs) writer, which is all what screenwriters want to be. And he's a professor, too. Oh my goodness, this guy is amazing. Jamie Dornan? He looks like Jamie Dornan and has all those qualities. But uh uh-oh, here comes Sebastian Stan, who he's not quite as clean shaven. He's a bit of a bad boy. (laughs) Do you see that car of his? That's not a car that somebody bought recently and uh, bought it in a financially responsible way. And he's a little bit flighty, maybe a little unreliable, this guy. Is it Volvo? No, it's like a vintage car. But, uh, you know, what is she going to do, right? She's like, I like both of these guys. Let's see what happens. And the movie does this weird thing where it's like, you know what? Let's let's let let's let our main our main protagonist uh, be a woman who is sort of stringing two guys along. Usually we get a guy do this, right? Usually the the movie is the guy is stringing along two women and and, you know it kind of sympathizes with him and the movie does it this sort of same thing but with a woman and i think in that way it kind of kind of works the problem is the problem is not shailene woodley's character i think her character in this i think she is sympathetic i think what she goes through here even though she does terrible things and is horribly stupid at every turn i i believe it i believe why she's making bad decisions the movie actually gives us a reason for why she considers herself a bad person and why she ultimately has to learn a lesson about herself. All that stuff is fine. Um, even though I, I do mm-hmm. take issue with the way the film frames cheating and, and things like that in a personal moral way, the movie does do an, a, a, an app 
job trying to like lay out its own morals and in terms of how she treats these two men. However, the movie decides that these two guys have to be extra unlikable in order for us not to hate this girl. Um, these guys have to be relentless in their pursuit of her. They have to not listen to her when she tells him, for example, no, I just want to be friends. No, no, no. That's not going to mm. stop Jamie Dornan. No, that's he didn't come all this way from Ireland, which is where he's from in the movie to uh, or maybe he's Scottish. I don't remember uh, to, to come in here and be told no by Shailene Woodley. So he has to essentially be all over her and kind of force himself into his life. Sorry, he wasn't. He's an Irish writer. Uh. And, you know, Sebastian Sands character, he, he has to be very selfish and so yeah. deeply mean and antagonistic that you really have to wonder why is she, why is she, why is she doing this? She could do so much better. And even she at one point is just like, man, my last boyfriend was way better than these guys. Maybe I should have been with him. And the audience is like, yeah, yeah. It's good that you, you realize that six months into the movie. And that's how long this movie kind of feels, by the way. So look. I'm kind of making hay about the structure and the romantic subplots of all this. I, I do want to point out there are a couple of unique ideas in here, but this, this movie is appalling. <laughs> it is absolutely appalling in how it frames heteronormative relationships. It just makes them, first of all, look so whiny and entitled. Like I, the, the entitlement of these characters is absolutely just disgusting and it's it's of course a los angeles movie it's of course exactly like all of these other la cheaply made movies that have no business being you know uh this fully financed like i'm actually really angry at this movie and i'm really angry that this is the sort of thing that gets made where we have real technology that can make films that are so much more interesting than this i haven't seen doremus's sci-fi movies but i have a feeling they're a, at least a little bit more acceptable and acceptable, easy to appreciate compared to this. Whereas this just feels like a complete, not, I don't even know if it's a cash grab. Is there a, a version of a cash grab that's more of like a vanity grab? Because clearly this is not a movie that's making money. Um, it's hitting VOD, premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival last year. So of course they had a, they were anticipating some sort of you know, traction with critics, I suppose. And you know, yeah. some critics do like it. 39% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's not zero. And uh, I'm, I'm flailing, Will, because okay. I, I really, you know, this is worse than Abe. <laughs> I, I really, even though I'd say that I sat through this and I had an easier time sitting through it than I probably did Abe because Abe made me uncomfortable. I, I'm, I, I, I genuinely have more of a hateful reaction to this. And I, I have a hateful reaction to a lot of the, the, the circumstances surrounding it. And I'm really let down because yeah, I went you into were it. Hyped. You were uh, hyped. I thought Margaret Martindale was going to be in it. <laughs> so somebody lied to me. Yeah. Listeners. Yeah, I was so hyped. Yeah. And then all I get is Kira Sedgwick, which I'm not complaining. When we, we were talking about this movie and then John was basically saying, well, I don't know if it'll be any good, but it has Margot Martindale in it, so it can't be a full disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> and then after the movie, I'm like, well, yeah. she's not in it. <laughs> and you she can probably you feel up. my disappointment. Yeah, th this movie is, uh, it's trash. Um... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was stood up. So I'm a D plus and uh, I'm not going to get much more in depth because there's not much depth to be had here. If you want to watch a bunch of like whiny straight white people go on and on about problems that, you know, at one point they do insert a problem that is, you know, legitimate with her and that, but then the movie completely forgets about it and it decides, you know, you know what will make 
her, this metaphor about pers- personal improvement stick even more. Let's throw a pregnancy in there. They won't expect that. So uh, yeah, that's that's endings beginnings. The, it's it's kind of like a indie film bingo for LA screenwriters and directors who are kind of just farting things out. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like either like one of the most cliched indie movies in a while, or it sounds like a sitcom premise that they decided to give decided to go the indie route to make it more of a prestige project. <laughs> That's actually a pretty fair <laughs> observation considering the dynamics. Yeah. Cause you literally have it down to like, she lives in a pool house with her sister and her sister's husband uh, and her niece. And yeah. like, you know, they fight all the time and oh, two boys. So yeah, that's actually dang. That's that might be true. All right. So I'll probably skip this one. Yeah, yeah, I think you're better off that way. But uh, yeah, poor Shane Lee. <laughs> I almost kind of want you to watch it just so we can talk about I mean, it. Yeah, well, if you want me to, but it sounds like you'd rather. Poor Shailene. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, she's she's a good actress. She's she's really been getting she's been getting a raw deal yeah. since she was kicked off Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, um, I think like that's kind of what set it off, right? Like that was when her career was really on the up and up. You know, Divergent was a success, and then yeah, once we got like those other Divergent movies that I can't remember the name of. And uh, Insurgent and Allegiance. And Allegiance. Yeah. I mean, I think with the exception of Big Little Lies, I think Big Little Lies has been a real boon for her for sure. But other than that, yeah, I, I think that this this actress, yeah, uh, my goodness, she uh, she's she's much better than this film. I will say that yeah. everyone in this film is better than this film. So that is, and, mm-hmm. and including Sebastian Stan. I like Sebastian Stan. I like Jamie Dornan. I don't care who knows it, but uh, yeah, th- this is not the film. That's a guy from um, Fifty Shades. Fifty right? Shades of Grey, yeah, and uh, he's been in other stuff too. Mm-hmm. I forget what else, but yeah, that's uh, that's endings, sure. beginnings. Um, I would not end or begin it. So that is it for this week's episode yeah. of Cinemaholics. Next week we are looking to talk about Bad Education, which comes out on HBO, and uh, also there's a couple other things. Yeah. Like there's you mentioned the Willoughby's earlier, but also uh, an FX show, a mini series that just finished called Devs. Uh, that was one of the other things that people were talking about way more this yeah. past weekend uh, than like Sergio, for example. So I'm a little bummed yeah. we, we didn't see it in time, but we're going to try to check that out and talk about it next week. Um, then there's also BC Boys Story, which comes out on Apple TV+. Plus. Mm-hmm. Full disclosure, I work for Apple, but I don't work for Apple TV, to be clear. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, what, what do you think of next week's lineup? I think you think it's going to be a little, bit better, a little bit better than this week? Yeah, it sounds a lot more promising, at least. I mean, definitely some. I, I mean, I really want to do I do want to see Bad Education, particularly because I know um for a lot of good things about that. And I know it's the director and I don't know if he wrote this one, but I know it's the filmmaker behind uh, Thoroughbreds, which oh, I yes. know you really enjoyed. Big fan. Um, So, yeah, so that, that would that'd be a good one. And Ray Romano's in it, who I anytime I see Ray Romano's in a movie, <laughs> I, my ears yeah. perk up and I'm like, I'm in for a good time. Absolutely. Yeah, I haven't seen him since uh, Irishman, I guess. And uh, yeah. yeah, he did good 2019. Irishman Hamilton. Yeah. 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 So that's what we have on deck for next week. Good 2018. And, uh, too. Yeah. What was 2018? Ice Age, Dinosaur, Meltdown, Deluxe. Oh, oh no. Wait. Wait. Was was Big Sick 2017? 2017. Oh, okay. For some reason, I thought that was 2018. Uh, yeah. So I guess he. So maybe just maybe took 2018 off to to <laughs> really bring in 2019. But either way, I'm happy yeah. to see him. We'll see you all next week from the Internet, California. I'm John Agrin. And for you in Pennsylvania, I'm Lush. And we'll find a way to see you all next time. <laughs>